You're listening to The Better Man Podcast, becoming life-giving men together. Hey there, everybody. Welcome to The Better Man Podcast. My name's Adam Tarno. Today on the podcast, we have Dr. Christopher Yuan, whose book that was released in 2020 was named by Outreach Magazine as the book of the year on social issues. This book is going to be the major focus of our conversation, and it's called Holy Sexuality and the Gospel. Dr. Yuan has an unbelievable story. You're going to get to hear part of that. He speaks with clarity. He speaks with conviction. He speaks with experience, and he is out there on the front lines engaging the culture in these conversations about such a relevant topic for so many people, the topic of sexuality. You're really going to enjoy getting to know him. So with all that being said, enjoy my conversation with Dr. Christopher Yuan. Well, Dr. Yuan, welcome to the Better Man Podcast. We are grateful for your time today. Thanks for having me on, Adam. Well, if I understand correctly, uh, you maybe have a bigger career change than I had in my life where I started off as a CPA and then got into ministry. Uh, (laughs) But I think you have a similar path. If, If I've got it right, did you start off studying dentistry and then yes. make a transition. Uh, you, want, you want to talk yeah. about that? On but that, that uh, seems maybe like a... unlike you, I mean, it, you probably finished your schooling and then maybe <laughs> had some change. I didn't. Uh, my, my dad's a dentist and uh, my brother's a dentist. And, and the funny thing is in, in high school, he's like, the last thing I'm going to be is a dentist. And when I was in high school, I was like, the only thing I want to do is, is be a dentist. Yes. And uh, But I wasn't a Christian, uh, wasn't raised in a Christian home. And um, I'm Chinese, and my parents, you know, came here to the United States from from. They were born in China, raised in Taiwan, but uh, you know, pursuing the American dream, and uh, they wanted what was better for their kids, obviously. So I was going to be a successful uh, dentist, take over my dad's practice, or work with my dad for a while. Uh, but I wrestled with this secret. I came out of the closet and kind of threw all of that while I was in dental school. Uh, I was in my early 20s. Most people come out later. I was actually doing what all my friends were doing. I was not a Christian, so I was partying, having fun while I was a dental student. Uh, I was selling drugs. Eventually, I was expelled from dental school. And so I actually never finished school and um, and just kind of you know went on this path of, you know, in a secular way, people would say self-seeking and trying to find love and happiness and 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 fun and meaning and purpose. But unfortunately, that involved drugs and drug dealing and drug supplying. Um, you know, I when I came out initially, I told my parents uh, who were not Christian at that time, devastated my mom and dad. Actually, my my parents, they they were in the process of getting a divorce. Their um, our, our whole the, that American dream that they achieved on the outside, they did achieve it. Uh, my parents were very successful. We were living in you know a nice suburban mid, upper middle class area, and but we were my parents were miserable, and so they were going to get a divorce. I came out. My older brother was sort of doing his own thing and kind of wayward. So we uh, we just thought, well, let's just all go our, our own ways. And um, I came out that devastated my mom just in her mind with all of her kids, um, you know, with her whole family, not at all intact and just in shatters. She felt she was a failure. So she was going to end her life. Amazingly, God gave her new life. She was the first Christian in our family. Within a few months, my father came to Christ and um, so, you know, when I was in dental school and expelled from dental school, um, my parents were just praying for me. They were praying for a miracle that that I would come to know Christ. 
And um, I actually ended up uh, finding myself in jail. And that my parents were praying for a miracle. They would pray, uh, gathering around their 100 prayer warriors from the church, from the Bible Study Fellowship group. And they prayed for a miracle. Uh, like my parents came to visit one time in Atlanta when I had moved from Louisville, Kentucky, where I was going to dental school to Atlanta. I kicked them out. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, the funny thing, Adam, is that, uh, you know, we hear the narrative today that Christian parents are not able to or cannot love their gay children. I had the exact opposite experience. My parents weren't Christian. They they couldn't accept me. And it wasn't until they, they became followers of Christ that they knew they could do nothing other than to love me as their gay son while I was a sinner. So they tried to reach out to me with love of Christ and I wanted nothing to do with it. And, um, but anyway, eventually I found myself in jail. I called home and all, actually I called before that all my friends, no one except my phone call. The only people that accepted my phone call from jail were my parents. And, um, and you know, uh, they came to visit me in, in jail. I found a Bible in the trash can of all things and began reading it. And it was there that God began to convict me. Uh, so it was actually in jail that I was called to ministry. And um, God also helped me to understand what it means uh, to be a man of God and what it means to pursue holiness, to pursue Christ in light of sexual struggles. Um, so I was, uh, and, and another thing also, and we'll probably touch on this as well is, is identity, how today sexuality has so much become who we are, not how we are, which is the correct way, not what we feel, not what we do. That's the correct way, but it has really been completely conflated with who we are. Who we are yeah. Yeah. Uh, how many years was it from the moment you find that Bible until you start to engage in more education? Yeah, well, it was about a year that I was in in prison that 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 was that God really began to work on me. You know that that first year in prison, I ended up doing three. I was supposed to get uh, ten years to life. I was sentenced to six, and then it was shortened to three. So I did. Uh, and in the feds, you have to do at least eighty five percent of your time. So I did two years, nine months in federal prison. Um, but I was called to ministry in prison. And so I, right after prison, I went from prison to Moody Bible Institute, where I finished my, uh, my, uh, I had to get my bachelor's again, because I went to dental school without getting my bachelor's. And uh, yeah, I got my bachelor's in biblical languages, and then went on to get my master's and finally received my doctorate. Um, but I've been speaking and, and writing on this topic of biblical sexuality for 20 years. Now, when you're in jail and you have this uh, this awakening or this understanding, and now you know when I get out, um, a whole new career path, I think, is what the Lord has before me. Do you start talking to your friends in prison about <laughs> that? And what were their reactions to this, I, you to know, this story? You know, Adam, I did not know. I didn't know. All I knew was um, I I love the Lord. Um, and, and I, all I knew was there is a God, his son is Jesus Christ. And I wanted to learn more. So, um, I didn't even know, I didn't know what ministry meant. I was, I was a brand new Christian and and in prison, yes, there are Christians, but that's not like a, the church is so different. I, I, I almost struggle to say whether, I mean, that, that's not really a, a church in that, that there's no pastors, there's no elders, there's no 
you know, that type of accountability. It was believers in church and they were having, you know, worship meetings and stuff, but there was no kind of regular framework for what a local church ought to look like. But, and yet I was still growing. And so, and, and I say that because I didn't have any idea what ministry meant. I just thought, well, I don't think I'm called to be a pastor, but I, I want to learn more about God. So that's why I went to Bible college. Um, I, I did feel called to ministry, but again, I don't know what that what that was going to be. I, I don't know what that would look like. And honestly, initially, I thought I was maybe called to um, to maybe AIDS ministry. You know, in prison, I found out that I was HIV positive, and that was kind of one of those things of of God just completely breaking you uh, in in a glorious way to to bring me to Himself. And um, but yeah, so it was you know it, my my friends. Um, it was, some of them were encouraging that, you know, one of them, uh, earlier on said, you know, I see you being a pastor and I'm like, okay, you're, you smoke too much drugs. You, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> you know, bless your heart as, as you guys say in, in Texas, right? Yes. Bless, bless your heart. Bless your heart, which yeah. just is code for you're an idiot. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. Do you remember the very first time now as a follower of Jesus that you stood in front of a group of people and attempting to teach or to talk or, and, and if so, what, what was that setting and what was the subject? It was in prison. Really? It okay. was, yeah, oh yeah, it was um, people like that, that guy that said, I see you being a pastor, um, and others who, uh, you know, just, they, they, they found out that that I had an, edu- you know, I had an education, I had been to college, I had been to graduate school even, and uh, many of them were very, very intelligent, they just never finished school. Many of them were high school dropouts, and and I'm 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 not kidding, Adam. The, these some of these people were really brilliant people, and uh, but they were they had no education, and so many of them didn't really know how to read. They didn't really, ha- you know, know reading comprehension, communication, all of that. I, I mean, actually, some of them were good communicators, but without any of that educational foundation. So they volunteered me to, you know, lead a Bible study or, 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 you know, even preach a sermon. And so it was, it was almost immediately there in prison that I was kind of thrust into ministry very, very unwillingly. Yes. <laughs> Such a great story. Well, <laughs> and that you know, was really when, when the Lord kind of confirmed, he's like, I want you to do this more. And, um, and I, and I was kicking and screaming. I was like, no way. I, I, you know, I, there's, I could never do this. That's so fascinating. Well, I, you know, it's funny right before we hit record, I said, I, I want to talk a little bit about your past, but I know there's a lot of great data out there. I mean, people can go to YouTube and different podcasts and hear you tell the story. And I want to focus on, uh, on the future. And so I'm going to will myself to not continue to ask you questions. Cause I'm just fascinated by all the little nuances of that story. But the, the classes that you teach right now at Moody on a typical, I know it probably changes year to year, but like this semester um what what are you teaching this semester what are the classes yeah well actually um i so i moved from chicago to san diego so um yeah so i'm not teaching right now but before that i was uh, i had i had taught for eight years bible introduction which was just about kind of the hist not the hist- uh, it's more of it is a more of a historical thing where we look at inspiration canonization that that historical process of of the canon uh, coming together uh, and really just being actualized and realized by the the people of God. 
um, and then transmission of biblical manuscripts over over time, and then translate all the different translations that we have. So I taught that class for eight years. Then the last four years at Moody that I taught, I taught for twelve years. I taught uh, a theology of sexuality course right right from my my newer book, Holy Sexuality and the Gospel. Which good, which is a good leeway uh, or on ramp into that subject. And so this is kind of now probably one of the main topics that you talk about. Is that fair to say? Yes, it, it is. Yep, it would probably be the, the yes, the, the main, if not the only thing that that I that I speak on. Yes. So, uh, which I just want the record to say, you could talk on a whole lot more, right? Like you could do the Bible <laughs> introduction class, you could do the New Testament surveys, uh, you can do all of that. But but obviously, you're stewarding this story and talking about a topic that is so incredibly relevant for today. So your book, you know, your latest one that came out in 2020, Holy Sexuality in the Gospel. Let's just start with this, you know, just to to get us going in this direction. You know, common mistakes you see men make when it comes where with regards to just the way they view sexuality right now. What are some things you're seeing out there in in your ministry? You know, I I would say one of the one of the things that's often made by men when it comes to sexuality is um uh, you know, sometimes it's the well, it's not so bad. Um, you know, I'm I'm looking at pornography um, and, and, and it's the framework of, um, this, this comparison. Well, you know, at least I'm not, you know, cheating on my wife, you know, or, or sleeping with another woman. But, you know, as Jesus says, if a man looks lustfully at a woman, he's already committed adultery. So if you have, then you already have cheated on your wife, um, in, in Jesus's eyes, at least. And, um, or maybe you're a single guy and, you know, I'm not hurting anyone, you know, I mean, it's all these lies. I mean, uh, how the, um, that gives the impression as if sin isn't hurting anyone, you know, our, our, our lust isn't hurting anyone. That's the world's perception, but it definitely isn't God's, God's perception. It definitely is hurting people. And so I think, you know, hence, uh, the the reason for me writing my book, Holy Sexuality and the Gospel, and and the subtitle, Sex, Desire, and Relationships, Shaped by God's Grand Story. A lot of there's been, you know, several several books written on sexuality, uh, not just on same-sex attractions, but in, in general. And and oftentimes it's focused on what not to do. Don't do this, don't do that, don't do this. Important really things that that need to be heard and known and and practiced. But we can't stop there. Uh, we we can't build a Christian life just on God's no. So I think men, we need to know what is God's yes. It's not what is God's no, and as long as I just don't hit that no, I'm fine. It's God is calling us as men to holiness, uh, to perfection. So I I would say that that is one one mistake that is often made that we. We don't realize that the opposite of whatever is our sin struggle is not to simply not do it. Like, like I often say in my testimony, the opposite of homosexuality is not heterosexuality, hmm. but the opposite of homosexuality is holiness. And I would even say the opposite of, you know, a porn addiction is not no longer looking at porn. That's that's, that's a really low goal. Yeah, but the opposite of a porn addiction. The opposite of lust, the opposite of adulterous desires is holiness. And if men, if we can understand um, the, the the height and the breadth and the and the depth of that 
and what that all means in, in our daily lives. I mean, I think we will be really in awe. And and actually, honestly, uh, it, it could lead to almost, I can't do that, which is a good thing because then that would lead us to Christ. I can't do this. I can't be holy today. So that's why I need to be renewed every single day. I need to rely on the Holy Spirit every moment as soon as that temptation comes to resist and flee and to mortify and put to death the deeds of the of the body. So I would say, I think um, it's recognizing these things that as men, uh, we are not simply called to not sin. Yep. We are called to holiness. That's excellent. That's excellent. So, you know, as we have alluded to a couple of times, this is such a hot topic in the culture nowadays. And I mean, it just seems like everybody's talking about it. So those inside the church and of course those outside of the church, uh, this is a big topic. So when you hear, um, you know, let's just say any news article from anything, or you see somebody on YouTube or, a, or a, maybe an Instagram story or something, just you hear people talking about sexuality in general right now. What emotion do you feel? Do you feel encouraged, discouraged, uh, scared? What, what what do you feel when you just hear the general conversation going on in the world right now? Yeah, I, I see how um, when I hear it from the world, I I, I get really um, burdened. You know, I'm I because I've been there because I know oftentimes as Christians. You know, we can look at the news and get very discouraged and very upset and frustrated and, and angry. Like for me, it breaks my heart because I've been there and I know the the mindset and the framework, the the faulty mindset and framework from which they're working from. And it 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 emboldens me to know that the answer is the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so that emboldens me even more to, to do that. There's a sense of urgency for that. Now, as I'm looking at the church, um, and sometimes I could be called a pessimist, but I, I am, I, 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 and maybe I get easily discouraged by that because I can understand what the world thinks in, in very secular worldly ways. But as I'm seeing it creep into the church, and I'm not talking about mainline denominations, I'm talking about churches that have, you know, even recently been been very evangelical, and and we are borrowing from the world. I I think one of the the greatest enemies of for the church today is the temptation to compromise, and so it's frustrating to me when I see the world compromising. And uh, uh, I'm sorry, and, and the church compromising and compromising to kind of borrow from the world, whether it's terminology of the world, whether it's frameworks from the world of, you know, from from sexual identity or gender identity, embracing these as it's okay, not at all uh, saying that we need to mistreat people or not treat people as they are image bearers of God, but being able to not to be able to separate these. This is, they're created in the image of God, but I do not have to take on these, these false and ultimately harmful in the sense of it's not pointing people to Christ and allowing them to stay, um, in bondage to their sinful identity. So I, I think that, that's what I wish, you know, as the church, we would be called to clarity, full of grace and full of truth, not 
grace at the expense of truth and not truth at the expense of grace, but we're a pendulum. I would say 10 years ago, the church was maybe more generally truth at the expense of grace. And I'm talking about Bible-believing evangelical historical churches um, historically, um, you know, have a high authority of scripture that we would be truth at the expense of grace. But I'm seeing the pendulum very clearly uh, swinging to the other direction where we are we are trying to be loving, but making love an end in itself, and we need to be full of grace and full of truth. Yeah, yeah. So you've probably stumbled into just becoming now an expert on how to engage in conversations with people that have beliefs that are different than yours, because even though you're you're traveling the world and the country right now, and you're having conversations with a lot of people that have the same worldview as you, inevitably you're going to bump into people that have differing worldviews. And so you've, you're kind of collecting this skill set as well, which is obviously the world really needs that too, because uh, the thought that we're all going to be able to agree on everything is probably not going to happen. So how can we continue to have good, healthy, robust dialogue and care for people well, uh, even when we disagree? So what are some things you're learning about how to engage in conversations with people that think different than you? Well, I mean, I think it's it's realizing the 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 faulty presuppositions that they have initially. I think that that's that's important. Um, and, and maybe I'll step back. And, and even before that, um, it, it's realizing that that they're and, and maybe that this gets to the why the presupposition. What's the kind of the root of that presuppos these faulty presuppositions? And um, it's a darkened mind, as Paul talks about in Ephesians. So at, at the core, our loved ones and friends who are atheists, agnostics, uh, whatever it is, um, or identifying as gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgender, you know, the list goes on. Um, or, you know, your your neighbor who is in, uh, you know, sleeping with his girlfriend, whatever it is, their main problem is not their sinful behavior. Their main problem is their need to know the the lordship of Jesus Christ, they they need to be converted ultimately because that allows us to have the mind of Christ and to have the Holy Spirit who will be guide us in, into truth. And so, so it's it's recognizing that, but then also seeing the presuppositions that a lot of times people are are holding to, and not getting into these these debates with people oftentimes as. Sometimes we're forced into it. So I'm, I, I think more and more it is uh, not so much we are seeking out to 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 argue or to to, to debate, but I think we are pressed into these corners. Um, but I think there are ways to 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 actually deflect as Jesus deflected. He Jesus did not answer every question. Oftentimes, um, he answered a question with a question, deflecting to the more important question. I think. That's always uh, a really helpful way to engage people, but also, um, you know, on those times that that they aren't as tense, um, being intentional about reaching out to people and getting to know people and and listening to their stories. Uh, listening to someone's story does not equate to agreeing with them. You can even ask them, "What was it like coming out?" It must have been di pretty difficult. Um, you can even ask them about their partner. Doesn't mean that you, that that's approving. Now it's how we respond that can give uh, approval or not. If I say I'm happy for you, that's obviously a, a statement of affirmation. But I could say I see that this makes you happy. I see that you're happy. That's that's just um, a, a an observation 
that allows you to let the person know that that they're being heard um, and, and affirming at least you know, that they are being heard. Yeah. So I like what you're talking about on asking a question to your question. Um, you know, there, there's all kinds of different things that I've had to use over the, you know, when I was in ministry full-time for 10 years, 10 plus years, um, you get a lot of those. And it could be about stuff that's not even about the topic we're talking about right now, you know, that uh, do you believe my my grandmother who just passed away is going to go to hell or to heaven? And then, of course, you can ask that back with, well, what did your grandmother believe? Or tell me more about your grandmother. And those those types of topics are, uh, that's, a, that's a great, I, I hate to use the word tactic because it sounds like we're trying to win something, but but it's a great way to keep the conversation going. Can you think of a question that you're asked that you often follow up, not with an answer, but with another question? Yeah. So, for example, um, you know, when people ask, um, you know, do you think this is sin? Um, you know, there, there's actually, you know, so many different ways, you know, how would you define sin? Um, you know, when you say, uh, you know, that people are gay, uh, I can define that, but how would you define that? And, and kind of getting a discussion about, about identity and sexuality and does that are those the equivalent and stuff and and so are we talking about someone's acting on it believing you know because they conflated all the same and they actually don't believe a person you know they don't view sexuality as action but um and even you know a good uh, i think an even better way is to kind of deflect it to the more important question uh, that you could say, you know, do you think this is sin? Oftentimes, if you know that this person is not a Christian, you could tell them, I know you, you don't believe in God. So what does it matter right now what God thinks, what is sin or not? The more important question that we need to actually first address is, does God exist? And so when we have those type of questions, um, you know, that those questions can actually lead to questions about Jesus Christ that can also lead to questions and conversations about salvation. So yeah, no, that's the, these are great strategies yes. or yeah, I like tactics that word. as Greg Kokel uses, yeah. um, you know, many. Yeah. Tactics or strategies. Yes. That's, mm-hmm. that's excellent because then, I mean, that really is the conversation that probably makes the most sense for us to have with somebody that, that has differing, you know, especially if it's uh, if the gap between what we believe is rather large then it's probably good for us to get back to the why. Uh, you know, what are some of the foundational beliefs we have that now when you're really far down the road and you see how different we are, let's go back to the beginning of that road and see where where we started off a little bit different. And that on the existence of God or was Jesus God or uh, any of the conversations around the resurrection or things like that is probably a little bit more of a productive conversation or at yep. least getting at the core know. these presuppositions. Yes. Yes, that's excellent. That's excellent. I really like that. So, um, you know, there's a couple of different ways. You said you you you're, uh, you could be blamed for being a pessimist. Well, I'm going to tap into your inner optimist because because I know he's there. I know he's in there. So, what are some things that are encouraging you right now when you look towards the future and you have hope? Um, and I'll just leave it very open. It could be about what you're doing now. Could be about something else. But but what are some things that you're seeing in your ministry right now that are very encouraging to you? Well, I'll start with the, you know, the, 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 you know, we always say you want the good news or the bad news first. Um, maybe kind of, I don't know if I'll say bad, but, but kind of a, a need or problem or, or, or weakness right now. And, and, and how I'm seeing kind of an answer, uh, to that and answer to prayer. I, and, and, you know, I'm not, I'm not a, a father. Um, so, but as you know, Adam, our, 
this younger generation of kids, teens, young adults, they're they're being raised in a time where, for example, when I was raised, there there was um, same sex relationships, sexuality. It was pretty standard. I mean, I would say society all agreed sex before marriage is not good. Um, uh, cheating on your wife is not good. Uh, same sex relationships is not good. So all, all these things, it was pretty much all of society in, in in the modern West all agreed to that. But our kids today, um, they did not know of a time where uh, same-sex relationships were completely accepted. And so there's so many of these resources, and now it's gender. So there's so much confusion today, and there's so few resources out there. So kind of an exciting thing is a resource that I've been working on for the past three years, and it's called the Holy Sexuality Project. It's a video series that's geared specifically for teen, for parents and their teens. Because, and so this is the encouraging part because I'm, my parents and I in, in ministry, and, and my father's now with the Lord, but um, my mother and I are just so convinced that the, the real key to stemming the tide in our children, I don't see the answer primarily as being another church program. Not that church programs are bad, it's just not going to be like one of the primary answers. I think we should have church programs. Um, and some of these resources, there's not a lot, um, are geared for church programs and and youth groups, et cetera. Not necessarily a, a bad idea. I, I think some of these focus some on the the no, and others kind of just focus a lot on stories and kind of are a bit more ambiguous. With you know, you can be gay and a Christian and all these type of things, um, or even trans and Christians and pronouns and all these different things. That so I think there's some uh, not clarity on that, but the, the 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 focus is another church program, and the encouraging thing is. Uh, we're working on this program, this this project that's actually specifically for fathers and mothers, grandfathers and grandmothers, great grandparents to actually bring to the home in the living room, in the family room, at the dining table with their teens and to go over this this 12 lesson video curriculum that then will help our teens to understand, embrace, and celebrate biblical sexuality. And this video series um, is, uh, you know, actually the goal isn't just to have the kids go through it, but it's to really foster these conversations that will carry on past the series is when it's finished, past these 12 lessons are done, and actually into beyond the teens, because as, as much as a youth pastor, you know, desires to pour into the lives of these kids, these youth pastors are not going to live with these teens after high school. Um, and it's so important for us to realize that a youth pastor does not replace the parent. And the youth pastor is not the one who has the primary responsibility uh, the God ordained responsibility to primary to be the primary disciples of our kids. So what I'm seeing encouraging is when I'm speaking and I'm giving this message, 
I'm seeing all these parents and uh, really latching on to this and kind of the light bulb turning on. It's like, I can't just view the youth pastor to be the primary discipler and and especially fathers. And, and, and you know, since this is the Better Man podcast, I, I, I do want to really hone in on that and, and to challenge the fathers because, and I would say the vast majority of men uh, who are fathers, you know, talking to their daughter or their or their son about sexuality is not on, you know, the top of their list of things that they really, really want to do, um, which then ends up being something that's that's down on the list and just gets missed. If we don't, it's pretty much guaranteed the world will do it and they'll do it gladly. So as fathers and grandfathers, uh, we need to no longer forfeit that responsibility to the world and to take it back. So I'm I'm really encouraged to to see this uh men rising up to say, you know what, no more. Um, I'm gonna do the job that that I don't necessarily want to do. <laughs> or uh I mean, you know, I'm not talking about kind of that Romans seven, you know, I do what I don't want to do type of thing. I mean, our mind will say, yes, I want to do this, but then our flesh and our fears and our feeling inadequate and just embarrassment and anxiety and all of that is going to say, no, I don't want to do this. Uh, but men just saying, I'm going to fight that. I'm going to resist that. And uh, I, and I'm going to do this job because um, silence is no longer an option. And and we can't think that. Uh, and, and I have oftentimes mothers and parents asking me, you know, when is it too early? You know, I've got a you know, an eight-year-old or nine-year-old or whatever, when is it too early? And and I, and I and I say back to them, that's not the right question in 2023. The right question is not when is it too early, it's when is it too late. Too late. That's good. That's yeah. excellent. Okay. So if our listeners want to find out more about that, how can they track with you? And it sounds yeah. like that, that resource, is it not out there for general public just yet? Yeah. Well, you know, at, at this very moment, it's, it's just being finished. So... Um, so we would say, you know, probably April, May of 2023, it's going to be released, but, um, go to holysexuality.com, holysexuality.com and put in your email and your name and you will be contacted. Um, but, you know, maybe within a few weeks, you know, the, the, uh, our, our website will be more updated. But if also people want to know more about my speaking ministry, my writing ministry, that's just at my my full name, ChristopherYuan.com. Awesome. Well, we'll put links to both of those in the show notes. But uh, like I said, Great. I could ask a hundred more questions, but I'm going to stop. <laughs> uh, there's lots of other things. People can go out there and watch and read the books and, and do all of that stuff. But this is incredibly helpful. It's a timely message. Uh, I'm grateful you picked that Bible up in that trash can. I really <laughs> am. Uh, it's a remarkable story. Dr. Yuan, and so thank you so much for being on the Better Man podcast with us today. Certainly. Thanks for having me on, Adam. Hey there, we've got a free resource we want to give you before we go. We know that between work, family, and life, it can be really difficult to find and practice a good model for biblical masculinity. That's why we record these podcasts for you every week, and that's also why we've put together this free resource called Five Ways to Be a Better Man. All you have to do is go to betterman.com. Put in your email address and you will be able to download this publication. You do not have to try to be a better man on your own. We are here to help you. So go to betterman.com, put in your email address and download five ways to be a better man right now. That's betterman.com.